Welcome, everyone. Uh, God bless you. It's good to have you all, as always. Um, I trust that we learn to worship the Lord there in the beginning. I know it's not ideal, and we don't. Um, I was hoping that uh, Sister Julie would have been able to provide some live worship. She's busy at the moment with her father. Um, but last time, if you guys had joined in prayer, you guys would know that it was a blessing to uh, enjoy, you know, live worship and, and kind of pray along to the stringed instruments. And I spoke about how um, there's a there's an anointing that flows when we play stringed instruments. And uh, if you look in the book of Samuel, you look in the book of Kings, you'll see that um, prophets would prophesy when the stringed instruments were being played. And um, sadly today, we don't, we don't have a reference point for that. But I pray that we would recapture that as the body of Christ. Um, that it, like a ministry like David would enter back into the church and we would break all these ridiculous uh, pharisaical uh, uh, formal uh, structures of preaching God's word. I'm not saying it's bad to, you know, preach his word in the way that we have, but the, when the spirit of Pharis, this pharisaical Pharisee-like spirit enters the church, where we want to say, oh, God can't do that. You can't play music while you preach. That's nonsense. Um, the people who say that have very little relationship with God, if any at all. Um, we need to get into the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the um, Holy Spirit doesn't like to be tied down by these stupid religious laws that haven't been created by God. They're man-imposed. They're man-traditions. And um, the Holy Spirit is not into man's traditions. He's into his word, right? And his word doesn't forbid that. In fact, it encourages that. In fact, it's there all in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And um, so um, I was reading Psalms yesterday, uh, last night. And, uh, and uh, it says that the Lord delighted uh, that uh, music brings delight to his heart. Um, so music is from God, and uh, I want us to make sure that we have a place for that. Um, and so, um, but nevertheless, I I wanted to um, I wanted to do something different today. Um, we will be um, having two others speak today. Um, brother Daniel and uh, brother Malachi and um, I trust that you all will be blessed um, by the words that uh, the word that they will be giving um, this is what we are about um, we want to facilitate opportunities for people who have gifts to utilize them to use them for the glory of God um, you know, someone said this, someone said that if you're not, if, if no, if no one's following you, you're taking a walk and ministry, it's, it's purpose is to help raise up other people. And we shouldn't be doing this 
ourselves, right? If you're, if, if no one's following you, you're taking a walk. We're not interested in taking walks. We're interested in either following after someone so that we may grow or doing the leading so that we may grow up others. And so that's precisely what this is. And the reason why this is important is because the mission of God is important. And there are souls to be saved from hell. There's missions to be established and to work uh, to uh, missions that are to go forth and, and stuff like that. So um, with that said, um, I want to give the, I want to hand it over to uh, brother Daniel at this moment and um, allow the Lord to uh, use him. Thank you. Thank you, brother Greg. And, uh, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity, uh, for me to exercise my gifts and uh, you are all probably also very happy to be able to see uh, what my face finally looks like. Uh, and I'm sorry, Malachi wasn't able to be there to hear how you prayed on Wednesday, but I'm glad I'll be hearing you, uh, today. So today we are going to be talking about um, what does Jesus say to the sent? And hey, brother, I'm sorry. Just Would you be able to turn up the volume just a little bit? With regards to my mic? Yeah, or maybe get a little closer to it or something. All right. Or I could just talk louder, but. Yeah, or talk louder. All right. I'll just talk louder because I'm good at that. So. <laughs> All right, so today we're talking about what does Jesus say to the sent? What does Jesus say to those whom he sends? And we're going to be examining that as a personal encouragement to each of us, as well as to give us an outline as to what are the expectations that Jesus uh, wants us to have for those who are sent. Um we can always debate what does it mean to be sent. We see in Ephesians that uh, there are varieties of different ministries, such as you know apostles, prophets, uh, teachers, evangelists, etc. And so Greg has said this before that not everyone is called to be um, an evangelist per se, but I do think that we would be correct in saying that we are all called to witness whenever we have that opportunity. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter nine. Uh, verses 37 um, through 38. We're just going to start there as we <clears throat> kind of examine what does Jesus say about uh, being sent out and what are some of the things that he wants us to know about that. So in Matthew chapter 9, what we are seeing here is we're seeing um, events in Jesus' ministry that occur shortly after his Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount occurs, I would say, um, not too long after the start of his ministry. So what Jesus is talking about here in chapter 9 is something that would be relatively um, either to the middle or way uh, closer to the start of his ministry. This isn't something that he says near the end of his ministry. This is something that we start to see at the beginning. And so we see in, in verse nine, in chapter 9, I always like to get the context down. Jesus is doing a lot of, uh, I would say, apologetic work um, and healing because he's healing different people. He's questioned about fasting. He, he's also uh, being rebuked by the Pharisees, saying that he's casting out uh, demons by the power of the demons. And um, Jesus uh, starts to get uh, 
attention and also flack as he progresses in his ministry. And so now what we're going to see here is what Jesus has to say as he's in this, um, as he is in this circumstance of healing people, preaching the kingdom of God. So we actually, we, let's, we can start in verse 35, actually, uh, looking at this. So it says in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So there's a few things that we can see immediately from this passage um, to begin with. The first thing is that we see that Jesus is compassionate. It is easy for us whenever we come out of, let's say, uh, a very... Uh, fire and brimstone kind of Christianity, kind of how I did, it's difficult to see where does Jesus have compassion. And that's also something that Satan likes to attack us with. Where is Jesus' compassion? You know, it seems, it, he makes it seem that Jesus um, is the, far, the furthest away from compassion and that Jesus' business is only in judgment and in being critical of his church. But we see here otherwise, according to Derek Prince, when, here, when it says that he, that he was moved with compassion, the more literal uh, ren rendering of this is his bowels moved with compassion. So Jesus felt not some sort of, you know, um, emotional, uh, emotionally flimsy sort of, you know, like compassion, like you might have for like a, a puppy when you see their, 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 you know, their puppy eyes and whatnot. But this was a really deep out of the bosom kind of, uh, compassion, um, that Jesus was experiencing. Amen. And so because of that, he saw that they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And so when you have sheep that don't have shepherds, what are they? They are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to attack. There's Amen. no one to care for them if, they're, if they become injured. And so that is, this is also a parable for us that Jesus then says that the harvest is truly plentiful. There are these multitudes of people that are following him and yet Jesus says that the laborers are few. You could say that here the shepherds are few. And so he says, pray <clears throat> that God would send out people to uh, continue in this harvest. And I don't think it stops just there. I think this also goes into let there be more shepherds. Amen. Because you may say, what good is there in bringing in a harvest if you have no barn to store your crop in? And that crop is just going to rot outside. When you leave it or it's going to be stolen by the enemy when you leave it outside so i think that there's a connection between there being harvesters and then there being shepherds and one uh needs the other but for for the for the sake of this um of this of what we're talking about we're going to be speaking about what does jesus say specifically to the scent let's briefly take a look at a contrast of this in john chapter 4 so if you can turn there with me to verse 28 in John chapter 4, because of my time, I'm just going to read whether you're there or not. Sorry, but uh, I trust that the verse will be put up on the chat anyway. 
So in John chapter 4, verse uh, 28, we're see- the context here is that Jesus has just finished uh, talking with the Samaritan woman to whom he shows that he is the Messiah and the Samaritan woman believes him and that he is that because of the things that he said about her that no one has uh, known or that would be uh, something that would be difficult to just predict off the top of your head. So there was supernatural insight that the Samaritan woman saw in Jesus. So here's what Jesus says after this woman goes into the town to proclaim the news of, uh, of Jesus and what he did. So starting at verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And for us brothers and sisters, that also I think is an appropriate mindset for us. Verse 35, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So Jesus is saying here in a spiritual context that um, that we need to be busy now. He needs to be busy now. His food, what gives him strength, is going to be doing the will of the Father. Yeah. That is what gives him his strength. And so he says, look at the fields. There is a harvest that is ready there. And he says in verse 36, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that there are, of course, uh, differences. There are people who are called to reap, and then there are people who are called to sow. And Jesus continues in saying, you know, verse 37, reiterating this, saying, For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. So notice this. We, whenever we're sent out, or whoever is sent out, as we'll see in Matthew 9, they may not have anything to do with the sowing of the seed. Not at all. Because Jesus says that others have labored to his disciples. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. In other words, you are reaping what they have sowed. They had the priority of sowing the seed. You are now going to be reaping from their efforts, but both will be rewarded. So, to the scent, I think it is respectful, first of all, for us to realize that fruit is not always an indicator. You may have missionaries in countries that spend their lives there and they only see less than a handful of converts by their efforts. But then as soon as the next person goes there, the ground has been tilled, the seeds have been sown, and that person then starts to reap their harvest. And so I think that's an encouragement for each one of us that even though we may not see necessarily uh, the fruit that we would like into our life, it is not our job to necessarily be fruitful. Our first job is to be faithful. Amen. And it is out of that faith that the fruit will come. And that fruit necessarily may come after we even die. Doesn't Jesus say that, you know, fruit does not come unless the seed dies first? Mm. That, that could be a metaphor for our lives have to be laid down and, and we have to leave ourselves to death. God raises up to new life. 
But I think it could also equally mean that we do not see the full effect of our efforts until we reach judgment day. Look at what Paul did. Paul is, you could say, uh, on one of the rankings I saw, he's considered to be the fourth most influential person to ever live. Do you think Paul felt that way whenever he was ministering? No. Because the fruit of his labor was going to come after all the sowing that he did in Europe. And then there are people who came after him, who then reaped that harvest after Paul planted the seeds. So whenever we're sent, our first priority, brothers and sisters, is for us to be faithful and to, and to leave the results to God. Because we may not always know whether we are the ones sowing or whether we are reaping. But one thing we can do is we can be uh, trusting in God. So going back to uh, Matthew chapter 9, um, we, we just saw what Jesus said here about um, him having compassion and him wanting to have, you know, have people be sent out so that they could have someone to, to reap them for the harvest of the kingdom and that there would be a shepherd to guide them along the way. It's very easy to fall into the trap of reading the Bible in, in chapters and in verses. And so there's always this sort of mental block where it's like we reach the end of a chapter and we're like, okay, stop. You know, this is kind of where the idea ends more or less. And then we pick up with a new idea in the next chapter. That is not what goes on here. This entire idea that starts off here in chapter 9 actually goes all the way through 10 and ends at the first verse of 11. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10 to figure out what does Jesus say to those who are sent. So let's read. Starting at verse 1 in chapter 10. And when he, Jesus, had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. So I'm going to stop right there and point out something. First, let's look at the transition here. We go from 9.38 to 10.1 right? This is a continuing idea. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And what does Jesus do here? He is now preparing some laborers, the 12 apostles. He is preparing those laborers. And the first thing that he does is he gives them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. That is exactly what we have been seeing Jesus do in uh, all of chapter 9. So now Jesus is now commissioning his 12 disciples for the ministry. He is sending out these 12 laborers into the harvest. Verse 2. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zedebi, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebaus, whose surname is Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. I just went through that quickly because it's not really that relevant to what we're talking about, the sent, but this is a list of who are those who are sent, the 12 apostles. So let's, um, so we've reviewed that Jesus, again, has commissioned them with power to go uh, as they are sent out to reap the harvest. And that's something that we have to recognize for ourselves. If we are to be sent, we are not sent out powerless. We are sent out in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like these apostles yeah. were as well. And unfortunately, that is something that, you know, it tends to be controversial in, in our you know, current day of Christianity because of cessationism. And so I think that the best way to, to, to combat cessationism 
is for us to number one leave the hands and the result of God, right? In the, in the hands of God, we we leave that to Him, and we continue to be faithful to Him, and we allow God to do the results because because whether we like it or not, we're always going to have some resistance from someone. Mm-hmm. Jesus had resistance from the Pharisees. We can't get rid of resistance. To get rid of resistance, you have to get rid of Satan, which isn't happening until the end of the thousand years uh, of of Christ's millennial reign. He'll be locked up for a time, but then he'll be released. <clears throat> so we'll always have resistance. And Jesus is going to make that abundantly clear. Verse 5, let's read. It says, Then, the, oh, then, I could say that. Then these twelve, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, So now we are going into the phase of seeing what does Jesus command to these twelve that he sends out. He says this, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let me stop there. I could make a spiritual inference here. I'm going to say it as a suggestion because I am not 100% sure if this can be applied in this way. But one thing that is that might be a suggestion here is this. Yes, Jesus later does say, go to you know all the world, preach the gospel. So in the immediate context, what we see is that these 12 apostles are have a very specific job. And that specific job is to go specifically to Israel. And that is something for us as the sent to make sure that we understand. God may not be calling us to be evangelizing in a certain area. He may be calling us to evangelize to another group of people. Remember in Acts, this is also true. They were prohibited from going to Asia. The time was not yet ready for that. So that is something that we have to also be discerning of. Who is God calling us to maybe witness to? Who is God calling us to um, to go to, to preach the gospel? You could also make the argument here that um, the Gentiles and the Samaritans could be a reference to those who are not God's elect. Um, and so in that now, Greg, I know that there is all these, you know, that goes into a bit of soteriology and I don't have time for that, but just you know, bear with me with, on that one because I know how you dislike Calvinism and everything like that. Um, but in any case, this could be a reference here to God may want us to not be necessarily focused on you know just sheer broadcasting of the gospel, though that is legitimate. But we, I think we have to be discerning and prayerful as to who is the person in the crowd that God maybe want me to reach? Who is that who is that lost Israelite in that crowd? Who is that lost son of God, that lost daughter of God, that God may be wanting me to uh, to go to? These are things that we can be prayerful of as we are sent. Amen. So let's continue. What does he tell them to preach? He, t- he says to them, as and as this is verse 7, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is... Um, just a side note, this is unfortunate, but it seems that these days Christianity has, has turned into nothing more than, than, than a business. Instead of freely you have you know, given, freely you, know, freely you have received, freely you have given, now it's I've received, <clears throat> now I'm going to monetize what I've received to others. So that's not, let's make sure that we are very careful to any sort of monetary, uh, monetary um, incentives whenever we are in the field of ministry. And let's make sure that we are properly 
um, discerning whether or not our motives are good and met. So, freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. So, here's an interesting contrast. First, we see, you know, freely you have, you freely you have received, so freely give. But the work, the worker is worthy of his wages here. So what is what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, go out to to Israel, not prepared for your journey as you would as if you're going for a long journey. Trusting God that He's going to have worthy people along the way to provide for you in your journey. Later, sure. Jesus does say, you know, now grab you know a money you know belt, you know, grab a sword, etc. Right. So there's different times that we're called to different focuses and different operations require different logistics. We cannot always remain single-minded on a certain method, on a certain predisposition as to how God wants yeah. us to operate. That's right. That's we have good. to make sure that we are being flexible with the Holy Spirit as to what he commands. And this time Jesus is commanding, trust in the Lord. And another time he says, gather what you need and what you're going to take with you on this journey. Why does God do that? Who knows? Could God provide for the entire journey? Sure. But that's like asking why did God provide the Israelites you know, manna daily instead of weekly? How can anyone answer Good that point. question? Good point, brother. So, uh, moving on. For a worker is worthy of his way, of, of his seed. <clears throat> so for pastors, they're worthy to receive from the congregation so that their work in the gospel might continue. Yeah. Eleven. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not, will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust off from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for that land of, of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment then for that city so what does jesus uh say here basically well i think it's quite clear we shouldn't we shouldn't cast our pearls before swine whenever we're sent if there's someone who's willing to receive our message pour let's pour all into them let's give them the treasure that god has given us the treasure of the kingdom and the message the treasure of the gift of salvation but if someone is uh, unworthy by uh, re rejecting the message. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Let judgment come on their heads. And actually, Jesus says here something interesting. He says that for that sit for that city, it'll be uh, less tolerable. Well, it'll be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. You may ask, ask why. Well, Jesus says in another place that if they had seen the miracles that he did in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in dust and ashes. But these cities are looking at these miracles that these apostles are commissioned to do, and even still, they harden their hearts and do not repent. We have to realize, brothers and sisters, and I'm a lay apologist. I consider myself that. People reject the faith for emotional reasons and because they want to maintain their autonomy. It's not necessarily for intellectual reasons. And so when you see someone fighting with you on an intellectual basis, if you discern that they're doing it because of an ulterior motive, 
a motive that comes out of, well, I don't want Christianity to be true, so I'm going to resist it in every way possible, then shake the dust off your feet. They have Amen. the revelation of creation. Amen. They have the revelation of a lot of different things. I think their worst mistake is that they don't seek out God personally. They say, when I see the evidence, then I'll seek out God. Mm-hmm. Amen. If God exists, why, I mean, how, why would you, I mean, logically, why would you even go through the effort of the evidence if you could just say, God, if you exist, can, can something happen? I mean, that, that's far easier than spending hours of time studying stuff. So you see, guys, that the problem is in the heart. It's not always in the evidence. It can sometimes be in evidence, and we, we may have to address that, but it's not always. So let's continue. And our evidence, I think the most powerful evidence that we can offer is the miraculous, but let's remember that, the, that the, even that doesn't always do the job. And here's how I know that. Because even Judas didn't believe. And Judas spent three years witnessing every miracle, or at least most of the miracles that Jesus did, and he still refused to believe. So let's move on. Verse 16. Behold, I send you out, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you will speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So I think the main points are this. We need to make sure that we are conscious, uh, conscious about the way that we are acting, right? We are to be, um, we are to be um, as wise as serpents. That's not, that's not stupid, guys. Wise as serpents. We're supposed to be, in, in, a certain, in a good way, I would say cunning, right? Why? So that we may save at least some, right? Let's, let's, adapt, let's be adaptive, right? Let's be intelligent when we do this. Faith doesn't mean you have to throw reason out the window, right? Let's be reasonable about how we approach people. And as we do it, let's be innocent as doves. You can't touch me about anything wrong that I've done, right? I'm purely innocent. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing what's nice. And so people, they won't, have, they won't be able to blaspheme God in heaven because you're doing everything right. Like whenever you see these so-called pseudo-Christians, you know, doing all sorts of illegal things against the government, isn't any wonder that, that people who don't believe you know, continue to blaspheme God? Doesn't Paul say that it is because of you that the God of, that the God of Israel is, is blasphemed all the day? So let's not, let's not be a cause for blasphemy um, if it's not necessary. So let's continue with that. Um, Jesus warns of persecution. They will scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before authorities for my name's sake, which will be granted as an opportunity for you to witness. So for you as well, uh, for us as well as Christians, we have to be mindful that um, there are opportunities that can come through trouble. I mean, these, these apostles, they're warned that they're going to have trouble with persecution, but it'll be an occasion for their witness. So in our troubles and in our persecution, let's look at ways for it to be a, an opportunity for our witness as well. And... The last thing here that I think that is worth of note as well is that whenever we come to speak to someone, we don't have to be, we don't have to premeditate what we're going to say. We're going to allow the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which is the wisdom that far exceeds, I mean, the Holy Spirit's foolishness Amen. exceeds far the wisdom of man. So we allow him to speak through us. And the person who responds to us will not be able to contradict what we say by that, by the Holy Spirit as he gives us 
that to say. And by the way, Greg, just let me know when I'm running low on time, okay? So just, just so that I know, because I'm fully focused on this, obviously. So let's move on. Um, <clears throat> verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, so more persecution, and a father his child and children will, will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. I mean, we're talking about some real persecution. We're talking about the people who you would most expect to protect you are the ones who are betraying you. Mm. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Do you guys know where that's repeated? That's repeated in Matthew 24, when Jesus says, you will be hated by, 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 by all nations for my name's sake. Um, so we can expect things to get worse. We can expect that before Christ comes back, as is the context of Matthew 24, that things are going to get progressively worse. Christians are going to be more hated, but he who endure, endures to the end shall be saved. Okay. Amen. But we have to remember, I want to encourage you with this. Amen. The Israelites, when they were in the desert on Fridays, they got a double portion of manna. Because on the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to pick up manna. So where the need is greater, God's supply is greater. That's a principle that we see in Exodus. And so we can take that principle as we are sojourners and pilgrims in this desert, of, in the desert of this life, as we're heading to our promised land. Hallelujah. So let's, let's continue here. Verse 20, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. That's again repeated in Matthew 24. 23, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. That's interesting. It's like, do you realize that Jesus says you don't have to necessarily bear with, bear, bear with persecution. If you can escape it, do so. Amen. Right? Do so. And here's the amazing thing. What do you notice in Acts that happens whenever the Christians are persecuting Jerusalem? The gospel explodes in the region. So you notice that the devices of Satan, which are used to crush the gospel, actually end up furthering the gospel. Amen. So God, this is the glory of God, that he's able to turn around the weapons enemies on him on his own self. Mm. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone throughout the cities of Israel. Before the Son of Man comes. So there will be quite a lot of persecution if they're going to reach every single city and every place. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 24 as well? He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be spread to all the nations as a testimony against them. So this is confirmation of that as well. This is so that there's a witness against them. They will have no excuse to say, well, I never heard the gospel. It's like, well, no, you persecuted my servants and it spread the gospel everywhere. A disciple is not above his teacher, verse 24, nor a servant above his master. So we're going to receive the same persecutions that, well, if Jesus received persecution, we should expect persecution. 25, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. So we will be called evil. We will be said that we're evildoers, but let's not fear them who do so why because it says in verse 26 for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known that will not be known and i want to show you guys this so let's turn quickly to revelation chapter 3 because i want this to be abundantly clear that your confidence may be full in this what jesus says here in revelation chapter 3 verses 7 through 9 jesus addresses the church in philadelphia 
here's what he says to them. It's quite astounding. He says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, now pay attention, indeed I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie, indeed I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, etc. Do you realize that God will allow our righteousness not to shine but before him alone, but also before everyone else who has ever accused us, accused us of being wrongdoers? And evil. Do you notice that when the people who are on the pro, uh, pro-choice side of the argument, they say that those who are against that are on the wrong side of history, they're going to have a very unpleasant shock on the day of judgment whenever God, I believe, is going to make them fess on their own mouths that they were on the wrong side of history. Because Jesus confirms that here. He is going to justify us, not just before God's sight, but also in the sight of all men. And that is what Jesus is also uh, waiting for. Because Jesus himself is not visibly risen before the whole world. He's only visibly risen before those who are his own. But when he comes in glory and in power, that's when Jesus will be absolutely fully justified in the sight of all men, those who do not believe. Amen. And that is what we have to be patient for too. Amen. Because Jesus is waiting for that as well. We are not above him. So let's continue here in Matthew, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 9, not Matthew 24. Uh, 27, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. That, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetop. So reveal the things that God tells you to others, right? 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Guys, again, where the need is greater, where the trials are more difficult, God's grace is more abundant. That is all I can say. You are valuable. God cares about you, though we have to endure trial. 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus just got done talking about Say everything that I tell you to say, right, in verse 27. And he says, if you deny him and you deny what he you know, has said to you, well, then we're denying his word. And if we're denying the word of God, we're denying Christ. And we're denying the truth, which means we're on now the side of false, uh, of a false revelation, a false religion, of a false proclamation. So this is why it's so important for us to constantly affirm our belief. Um, not to, not necessarily to other people, but that we know where we stand in our hearts on these things. Uh, verse 34, do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be of those in his own household. The, this is astounding. People say all the time, you know, Jesus is about peace and love and no. Jesus is making spiritual war, even within our own households. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Are we ready to 
bear with that? Is Christ worth that kind of strife? And, and here's what I want to highlight. This would have been shocking, I believe, in their day. You know why? Because family unity was a very high priority in, a, in, a, in, in the culture of Israel. These days, it's not so much because we're so used to broken families and we're so used to, to all these different things. But back then, like the clan was the clan. You know, that's why you have the tribes of Israel. That's why it's organized that way because family was so vitally important. And Jesus is saying that your closest enemies are going to be those who were once closest to you. We have to settle it in our hearts that we are ready to uh, make those kinds of sacrifices. But remember, where the need is greater, God's grace is greater. Hebrews 4.16, Come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy to find help in your time of need. Let's do that because it offers for us. God wants us to come to him for our afflictions, for help. Because it glorifies him when he comes through, which he will. But we have to remain patient and faithful. So moving on, uh, 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Another shocking statement, because what's the fourth commandment? Honor your father and mother, yet you have to honor me more than them by following me and prioritizing me over them. You see, this is another subtle claim to deity, because Jesus would otherwise be denying the fourth commandment if he wasn't. Uh, <clears throat> verse 38, well, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. The last point I want to make here comes in verse 40 through 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So what do we get here? Those who are sent to someone, if that person receives that person, they get the same reward that that other person gets. Why? Because we are both in the same boat. Without Jesus, we're all going to hell. And with Jesus, we're all going to heaven. Right? We have nothing more to boast of. If we spread the gospel to someone and they receive it, they'll get the same reward. Salvation, at least in part. Now, I do believe that, yes, God will reward according to each one's work and the quality of it, but the, but the general reward is all the same, salvation and, and, and fellowship with God, which, of course, is a reward that we all never deserve and will never deserve. So we can be thankful. But also what's, what's so beautiful about what is said here is verse 42. I want to read it again. And whoever gives one of these little ones, little disciples, I, I want to say even just a cup of cold water in the name of disciples, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. God will reward every little thing that we have done. <clears throat> That's the kind of God that we serve. We may think to ourselves, well, if I just give you know, a cup of cold water to, to this little kid who's, who's a believer in Jesus, and, you know, <laughs> not, not, not nothing too much. I mean, you know, it only cost me like two cents because, you know, the water prices are pretty low. And it's probably even less than that. Probably the effort that goes into that costs more than the water. But you see, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God, to reward even the slightest acts of kindness. That is how humongous his heart is. 
That is how big his heart is. That is why Jesus was moved with compassion in Matthew 9, as we have read. Amen. Amen. So I wanted this, guys, to be an encouragement for you to show what the compassion of Christ is. But, I'll, but let's briefly review what does Jesus say to the sent. He says, first of all, there needs to be some power involved if you're going to be sent. Right? Power of the Holy Spirit. Search out your spiritual giftings. If you if you believe that you are specifically called to be you know an evangelist, then pray and 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 seek the gifts that would that would be appropriate for that. Right? Of course, God is not he he's not he doesn't have a written contract that you'll get a certain gift because the Holy Spirit distributes to whom He wills. So you'll be granted exactly. Um, what you need according to your calling so so much as you recognize what that calling is and you ask for that gift because Paul tells us to seek those gifts, right? That's the first thing that Jesus says. The second thing is let us be mindful of who are we really being sent to? Is God sending us to somewhere specific or is it more general? Uh, thirdly, um, don't cast your pearls before swine. If someone's not open to the gospel, don't force feed it down their throats because they are pigs. They're just going to vomit it out and they're going to go back to the mud, right? They, they're, and they're going to trample on you and, and try and you know, make you out as a fool. Uh, be wise as serpents, right? Don't throw out, you know, reason with your faith, right? It's okay to, be, to, be, to, be, to, to think about what's the best way to approach this. You know, is there a wise way to do this, right? Let's, you know, let's, let's use the reason and intellect that God has given us, not just throwing it out because God is also logical. He's the foundation of logic. So uh, Mr. Greg, the philosopher, would like that very much, right? <laughs> right? So that's the other thing. Rely on the Holy Spirit. That's the, other, that's the other thing. Holy Spirit power is fundamental to this. Be aware that there will be persecution. Your closest um, enemies might be from your own household, right? But we need to pick up our crosses. Um, and be encouraged that where the where the need is greater, God's grace is greater. And the heart of God is that he wants to reward even the smallest thing done to the least of the disciples. Because that's beautiful in God's sight. He cherishes and loves that which is weak, that which is delicate. Because it is in the heart of God to have mercy and compassion on those things. If we want to have mercy and compassion on cute little animals that you may watch on YouTube whenever you know whenever you see them doing whatever how much more does God want to have compassion on us the chief of his creation especially those who are young believers in his in, in him Jesus says that if if anyone causes these little ones to sin it would be better for that person to you know have a stone tied around their neck and that they would be cast into the sea that is how seriously God takes uh, little uh, little disciples and you know his children so let's be encouraged that god's heart is fully on our side god is there to assist us god is there to help us and god will reward every little thing that we sacrifice on the altar no matter how small <clears throat> so that's my encouragement to you there and i hope that it was uh, fruitful amen thank you brother amen amen. Amen. amen brother you gave man um i'm very not to give you uh hold on me a Pause this real quick. Oh. Two to eighteen. Um, praise God. Uh, I, I kind of like how there's like this connection of like power and authority that we're talking about. Um, 
So anyways, uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 18 reads, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Um, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Um, So beginning at 16, the disciples go to Galilee and they go to this mountain where Jesus tells them to go. Quite interesting because before then they were all hiding and scared. Um, (laughs) And what's unique about this is even in fear, like they still ended up going. Um, And it's kind of interesting to me thinking about one, like throughout the whole gospel of Matthew or actually throughout all four gospels, Jesus is like telling them like, Hey guys, I'm going to die. Hey guys, I'm going to go. And Peter's reaction was that's like, no, no, that's not going to happen to you. Like what? Like that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus calls him Satan. And then Peter then like denies Jesus three times and then Jesus still, for some odd reason, says to go and meet him on a mountain in Matthew 28, which is kind of like weird because I would you would think that after all this time of somebody like Peter, for example, because I just I just really compare myself to Peter a lot. Um, Peter really had like this crazy off and on relationship with Jesus, and what's unique to me is Jesus still called him because then we see in 17 when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some, but some doubted then following verse 18, then Jesus came to them. So even in their doubt, Jesus doesn't ascend to heaven. Be like, y'all still doubting, man, I'm out of here. I'll see y'all later. Like uh, the compassion and the determination the Lord had to make these, like, y'all, this, this is amazing to me. Uh, I'm going to cry because we spent so much of our lives living like he didn't exist. And then somehow he still made a plan for us to serve him. Amen. And, oh, God, excuse me, y'all. I get really emotional talking about this because it just reminds me so much of my life. Um, He still calls you to the mountain to give you instruction after you done spent your life hiding and running away from his calling on your life. Whew. Glory be to God. Um, thank you. It's, it's just so beautiful to me that he still gives them the great commission after he knows like they were hiding after he knows instead of Peter, you know, we like to be on the gram. We like to be on Facebook going hard for God but then we don't realize like these people literally knew God ate with him watched him do miracles and all that and they couldn't even go out in public while he was on the cross and still proclaim his name Mm -hmm. and I think to his to his compassion and to his glory he still goes ahead and says to them in uh, 
from starting at verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So he doesn't say, you know, y'all was hiding. So that's why I don't even want to use y'all. He says, no, go and make disciples of all nations. A lot of us would be like, well, Jesus, they was weak. Like, you don't see how weak they were. We like to gang up on other people in the body that are out here trying evangelists that are really out here like taking the message to places where we don't even want to we'd be like oh god these people are way too dirty for the message but there are people like brother greg who get out there in the trenches and do the hard work and instead of lifting up brothers and sisters like him we rather like tear them down or be like oh they're too holy or oh they you know look at their past that didn't matter according to christ because he still called these disciples despite them hiding despite peter's denials um well just glory to god and he gives them you know he didn't say go to a cemetery i mean seminary and (laughs) he says uh go and make disciples of all nations so to our wonderful brothers and sisters who like to you know say you know those who in the hebrew roots movement camp uh actually god cares about the gentile more than the jew or just as much as the jew he wants to be God of all. So it doesn't say just go to Israel and make disciples. It says go and make disciples of all nations. This is a worldwide kingdom mandate. Um, and I believe that when we are in right step with the Lord, then we will share your testimony because it's by the power of your testimony that people know the work of God in your life. And it's through your testimony that others can come to faith in Christ. And you're just planting that seed. So even if you don't make like 200 disciples or something, you're just called to go and just tell about the works the Lord has done in your life. You don't have to stand on a table, you know, or anything like that. But I I mean, for me, practical for me, I've always, you know, a lot of people ask me because I make a lot of like Christian music that doesn't really sound Christian, but a lot of secular artists are always intrigued by like what I do and they ask me like all these names have like Christian titles what's this about and then I tell them my testimony doesn't mean like they they're my disciple right away or anything like that but they see and come to know that God is the reason why I do what I do and if it weren't for him and his grace I wouldn't be able to do it so that's why I still go and proclaim my testimony because I can't I I'm not ashamed of what happened because if it didn't happen, I don't know where I'd be. You know, I, I, I really don't. Um, the power of God in each and every one of our lives is just amazing because while Satan wants to condemn us, God is like, no, I have a plan for this person. Um, Hallelujah. And uh, I also like how uh, it says baptizing them in the name, not names. Uh, we talk about the three in one Trinity and, according to scholars and some of my studies that this, because it says the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, which is the Trinity, they're all one. That's why it doesn't say names. It says names quite like purposeful in that regard. And then it says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Um, We, uh, we kind of have diverted from that (laughs) in a lot of ways in the church today. Um, we kind of like brother Greg was saying, like the Holy spirit 
ministers through music the holy spirit ministers through worship and then we'd be put in like you know i don't know if you ever like put something in the oven and you set the timer but that's what we do with our worship we like put it in the oven and put a timer on it instead of um just letting god have his way through the worship and i believe that and you know i was just saying this to other uh other brothers and sisters in christ a couple of days ago what covid did was it took away that crutch of a building and instructed you and made you go out and seek the lord in your own time you you could not rely on sundays anymore to you know help you get through you had to really seek the lord out and then it really shined a light on what people's faith were like because as we're seeing as i learned like the lord been telling people to share their testimony we just be in there on sunday sharing our testimony we wasn't going to the workplace and sharing it we wasn't going to our schools and sharing it we weren't sharing it with our neighbors we was just you know going to our religious our religious social gathering on sundays and i think the reality of covid is now that you know it's happened we we know that the lord has been calling us to deeper intimacy from the beginning and i love that here like jesus is still intimate he still is meeting us on the mountain it can be in your home you don't have to go out to a mountain to go meet him but he can meet you on the mountain in your home he can meet you pretty much anywhere because all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth i just wanted to take like a quick detour uh to matthew 7 um verse 28 because from matthew like 5 to 7 this is like the sermon on the mount these are all these commands that the lord is giving and instructing in this in the sermon on the mount this is and the disciples are hearing this as well this is one of jesus like first sermons um but Matthew seven twenty eight reads, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Kind of, kind of, kind of interesting because, you know, Jesus is the law and the prophets, according to um, Romans, and he's the fulfillment of that. But also they said teaching as one who had authority. And then the culmination of that authority comes at the end of, 28 16 to uh, 18 i mean 16 to 20 when we see that jesus says like yeah actually all authority has been given to me um and the fact that the disciples were kind of like it's just i I just really love the story because the disciples really do represent a lot of us um there were some of us who believed that jesus had all this power and authority from the beginning and then there were some of us who was like dang jesus like my bank account a little funny right now, and I don't know if your power and authority could come over on this way. But I love that the Lord still proves himself irregardless of your doubts and irregardless of what you had done yesterday or that year or that month. He still shows up and shows out because if he has called you and ordained you, then he will finish the good work he started within you. Um and it, it's not, you know, as uh, Brother Greg has said before, favor isn't fair. And I, I believe that's true because Jesus wouldn't talk about parables where people have been working in the vineyard for like all these years. And then somebody comes and works in the vineyard for a day and gets paid the same. Like that's a shot to somebody who prays in tongues for 20 plus hours. And then I done said my prayers for 30 minutes in English. And then we both in the same heaven. And he's like, what? Whoa, wait a minute now. <laughs> 
but the reality is is like it's jesus's grace that he gets to dispense and unfortunately like nobody is worthy of that grace but jesus is the one who gives it so we don't get to determine the power of his grace who he gives it to and who he uses it with because i mean according to me i probably wouldn't have ever used them disciples if i found out they was hiding while i was getting chipped up for their sins like you know it's not like these are sins of my own these are everybody else's sins that i'm dying for and instead of you know being there sorry i had to move my computer was falling um instead of like being there to being with me in my times of agony they had forsaken me which is also predicted in the psalms that he would he would have been abandoned during that time um, of his crucifixion I also wanted to take our attention to uh, Luke 10, uh, verse 7, 17 um, to 18 to 20. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So when it comes to us and our authority, which I believe um, the body of Christ has kind of like, we don't know that we have authority, but then we have to consider, well, why are we fasting and praying as we ought? Are we praying in our most holy uh, tongues as we should be to build ourselves up in the spirit, because we need to be built up in the spirit in order to do spiritual works. And we also need to be praying for those who do have those giftings, who are walking in those giftings as well, so that they not fall prey to the snares of the enemy or the flesh, because it's important to uplift those people that, you know, can pray for 20 plus hours in the spirit. Like you, if you work in a 12 hour job, sure you can pray, but you should also be devoting some time to pray for those like brother Greg, who you see out in the trenches or like other brothers and sisters who are out here um, <laughs> trying to administer, you know, power in the spirit against the enemy. Because I think like the uniqueness of this group and the uni- uniqueness of other groups I've been in is that when we go into intercession, um, there is a shift in the spirit. Amen. I believe what we're seeing right now, praise God for our, diligence and praying against abortion and praying against these things now the enemy's kingdom is being exposed and it's being exposed in such a way that there he uh, if all authority has been given to jesus in heaven and on earth what makes the enemy i don't know why the enemy thinks this but somehow if we protest a kingdom mandate that god has regarding babies it's going to stop god's hand and authority from moving in our courts and our systems and as long as there are intercessors like Brother Greg and us in this group praying, it will not happen. It won't be so. The Lord's authority will trample that of the enemy. And that is why Jesus starts off by telling them, like, hey, all authority has been given to me. It doesn't say given to the enemy. It doesn't say given to us. It's extended to us or imputed to us from Jesus. But he is the author of that authority. That authority all is in his hands. So either way, like no matter how these, you know, leftist folk feel like you cannot prevail against God. 
and to try to think that you can is folly and foolishness. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. And even if you think, and this is what I love about the Lord is like, even when these people or these anti-God people think that they have won, the Lord gets the glory and the resurrection of his people. And it will be so beautiful, but also terrible because those that have believed the lie and those that have hated God will receive their own folly upon their own heads because of the fact that they persecuted God's people decided to take authority into their own hands. Like the, what I've had to tell a lot of people that try to, you know, come at me for my Christian worldview is that if man's autonomy was great, then there wouldn't be mass murders, rape, incest, killing, and abuse. But we need a God to define what morality is because he is the creator of morality and morality by his standards is actually safer for all versus detrimental to all. Whereas when we take that authority from Jesus and try to do things our own way, we only allow Satan to come in and more danger and, and abuse to be imputed upon image bearers, which is not what God wants. And I just, you know, I, I always tell people like, if we were so great, we, we wouldn't need God, but it's apparent we suck, which is why we need Jesus. <laughs> and if you are holding your morality or measuring your morality to the glory of God, you'll always come short because his glory is the standard. So anytime people want to try to guilt trip us about, oh, well, your, your God doesn't care about women or whatever. Well, let's be real. Like in the garden of Eden, Eve was never raped or molested. She never had to have an abortion. God never wanted for any of those things to happen. That was not in his design. We screwed that up. So we also have to remember like, Jesus is here to teach us how to fix that. And he came to fix that. So as much as he brought a sword to the enemy and the way, the wicked ways of men, he also came to bring compassion or God's compassion to those who were hurting and groping in darkness, because through Jesus, those who were blind were given sight through Jesus. Those who were in darkness were finally surrounded by light because he is the light. So I just wanted to like really beat that beat that horse to like know like hey authority is given to jesus over everything over our situations over our mindsets over our hearts like if you yield yourself you give jesus the opportunity to be lord of your life in all areas then expect to see the freedom that you often pray for because it's going to come because why jesus has that authority and he can administer that freedom that you that you see um and I just, you know, I just thank God that he gave me the wisdom when I was in jail all those years ago. Um, and he asked me, like, will you do what I have for you? Will you let me help you? And in doing so, now I'm here. Now I haven't touched hard drugs in almost two years. I have fallen in love with the word of God because it was his own words that saved my very life even though like the enemy had really tried to get me to kill myself all those times, because if the enemy can't kill you, he'll just bother you until you go with Jesus. Cause that's all he can do is try to stop you or distract you from doing what the Lord has you to do. Because if the Lord can use you, then that means the enemy can't. <laughs> so as the Lord continues to use your testimony and you continue to serve the will of God, you are literally wrecking hell and 
leading other people out of darkness. The more seeds you plant, then it's like uh, Brother Daniel said, as we're planting seeds, then other people can come and harvest from behind us if we don't get to um, do that. If we don't get to see the culmination of that. And I love how the Lord is because Abraham according to Hebrews, he died not seeing the fulfillment of the promise. He died not seeing all those multitudes of seas that the Lord said that he would have. But the reality is, is that it did come to pass. And I know that when we are all raised up to the Lord in glory, like Abraham will see the culmination of God's promise because God always does something a million times better than we thought, you know, we could have, than we could have even imagined. Like it's, it's insane. But yeah, I just wanted to really like harp on the authority of Jesus and, and just remind us like he has given us that authority and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. We should only fear the one who could put both the body and the soul in hell. And that's him. So it's okay to have a reverent fear against Jesus and to live out our days not in fear of men or what they can do to us because we know who has the final say forever. And, um, yeah, that, that was just, you know, some of the revelations I had received on, um, Matthew 28, 16 to, uh, 20, but I had just really wanted to, you know, just remind us like, no matter what, um, if you've been hiding, Jesus calls you to the mountain. If you've been scared, Jesus is calling you to the mountain. If you done slipped up a few times, it's okay, Jesus has space on the mountain for you. Go and meet with him to receive instruction. Um, do not let the perishing things of this life or the perishing mistakes you've made keep you from going to the mountain. Um, you have, we have repentance. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his compassion. We have uh, his forgiveness. And he sees our future better than we see it he's not looking at our past the past has been forgotten and as much as the enemy will like to blackmail you with sins from your past jesus is trying to get you into the glory that he has for your future so i i would pray and suggest that you yield yourself to the glory that is going to come from you serving because um those who sow in tears will reap with cries of joy so as much as you cry late in the wee night and all this stuff you know the Lord has not forgotten about you. And the Lord basically, essentially in this verse, like he, he had been telling the disciples, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you this power. I'm going to give you this authority. I'm giving you authority. And the culmination of that comes at the end of this gospel. And um, it's just beautiful that despite all of their shortcomings, the Lord still used them. And a lot of them went on to do great things. And, and Jesus is going to, be with you as he says i am with you always to the very end of the age so you know like that uh, r&b song to the end of the road like jesus is with you to the end of the age that's longer than the road that is longer than the road like he is with you to the end of the age glory be to god so uh, this concludes my my study on this um i don't know if brother greg had anything else to to add or something but <laughs> yeah thank you brother I, I really appreciate you also taking the time to study and pray into it and i i really hear the lord 
um, using you to encourage people. I really feel the pulse of the spirit um, there, especially at the end. Um, to if you are among those who have doubted, um, the Lord is calling you to the mountain, and I, I think that is very prophetic uh, here in this this gathering. The Lord um, wants you to ascend to the mountain with him. And in other words, he wants you set apart. <clears throat> and um, there is grace to atone for your sins. There's grace to make up for your human limitations. Uh, there's grace to help you in time of need. There's grace to um, wash away the past. Because I'm sure as you're hearing Daniel, the word he gave, and Malachi, the word that he gave, this involves work. And some of you might say, I'm not in the position to work because I'm messed up. I'm jacked up. What can I offer? I'm not in the position to do very much for God. I, I, I'm currently in a place to where um, I don't feel right. I don't feel okay. Um, but we're not asking, nor, neither is God asking you to ignore that. But you bring that stuff to the throne of grace. And the Bible says that you're able to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And how many of you know we're always in need? You never graduate to a place in your walk with Christ to where need is absent. So if it's financial, there's grace. If it's mental, there is grace. If it's spiritual, there is grace. If it's relational, there is grace. There is grace to help in time of need. And God's, God's resources never run dry. They never run dry. So don't think that you can exhaust God's grace. It's not a license to sin. No, but, you know, one of my uncles said, he said, brother, I don't need a license to sin. He says, people are sinning without license. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a license to sin. It, it's, it's the encouragement that if you have sin, that there's provision made at the cross of Calvary. And that there's power to live above sin. There is. See, see, the law of sin and death keeps you in bondage, and it's the law that remains. And that's why those who are outside of grace are dominated by the life of sin and will pay for the penalty of their sin. But see, grace is that, that the, the plane that is able to defy gravity. Gravity is still in operation, but grace enables the individual to do that which they were incapable of doing in their own power and their own strength. Yeah. And that's what grace enables us to do, to do that which Christ does. That's why it says, I can do all things through Christ, who, who gives me strength. So we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. If you're dealing with bitterness, if you're dealing with unforgiveness, if you're dealing with insecurity, if you hate yourself, if you loathe yourself, if you wish you were never born, 
you know, and, and as I'm saying that, I, I'm hearing that the Lord said there's someone here in this gathering that you've just recently said that you wish you weren't born. But there's grace. There's grace. I love this song. It says, um, there's a Christian song. It says, um, it says, Caroline, let me wipe away your tears and give you life. Make you feel beautiful again, Caroline. I love that because the Lord is wanting to make you feel beautiful. Not externally, but inwardly. Amen. And let, let, let me say, some of you might be saying, well, where's the verse for that? Well, I don't believe that gospel that says, woe is me, I'm a little poor worm. <clears throat> I believe the gospel that says, I've been made clean. I am holy in him. I have worth in him. I have value in him. That's the grace of God. See, the grace of God doesn't intend for you to wallow in the mud and say, I am just this poor wretch. That's a section of Romans. Keep on reading. It says, now thanks be unto God. It says, who has delivered me from this body of decay, from the, the law of sin and death. There's triumph in Jesus. There's glory in Jesus. There's hope in Christ. That's where the grace of God leads us to. And so you don't have to remain there. You don't have to remain in hopelessness and despair and, and dejection and depression and low self-esteem. You don't have to remain there. And if you are currently there, know that it is possible for you to be transitioned from there Amen. and stationed in a secure place to where the things that used to harass you are no longer capable of holding you down. Amen. Look, man, and, and look. I want to I want to encourage you guys. I really want to encourage you. I don't know why the Lord uh, is leading me here, <clears throat> but it has to be for a reason. The grace of God leads to the glory of God. Amen. God has called you. God has for each and every one of you here a life of glory. A life of glory that is not limited to your spirituality. It is no less than spirituality. Necessarily, it is our spirituality. But God wants to add glory in your life in every facet. That means he wants you to have a glorious marriage. That means he wants you to uh, 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 to have glory in your workplace. That the favor of God would rest upon you in all facets in life, such that when the heathen take a look at you, they say, who is this God that these people serve? I want to serve that God, that the God has prospered them. Their God has enabled them to uh, uh, live above reproach, to live lives of promotion and not Ichabod, where, where the Bible says that it, when uh, describes Ichabod is the glory has departed. And when the glory departs, everything falls in your life. Everything collapses. Everything tumbles. But God wants us to live a life of glory. That's what he has called you to. Amen. Where you have no lack 
where there is no absence, where there is no reproach, where there is no shame. Where you are the head and you're not the tail. You're above and not beneath. That you're the lender and not the borrower. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm citing scripture. I'm not. Last time I checked, this ain't the Book of Mormon, yo. Amen. Amen. May glory come upon your life. May yesterday's shame be a thing of the past and buried where Christ was buried in that tomb. And may it not come out like Lazarus. May it not come out with grave clothes. May it stay there and remain there. And for you to live triumphantly. And for you get to forget. Behold, I make all things new. Amen. All things. Not some things. All of it. God is able to restore to you the years that the canker worm, the palm worm, and the locust has eaten up. Amen. He's able to restore years, not just finances. He's able to restore years, not just relationship. He's able to restore years. I hope that you're catching on to this. You might say, I've wasted so many years. God is able to restore. I've I've desecrated so much. God is able to restore. And let no preacher, no theologian, argue you out of the reality that God calls you to plans and purposes that are for you good. For you good. Good. When I look at the order of creation, all things that God has created were good. I know the thoughts that I have for you, declares the Lord, thoughts of good. And not harm, but to prosper you and give you a good hope in the future. You have a future in Christ, my brothers and sisters. You have a future in Christ. And the devil comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give you life and give you it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Or let, does your, I'm going to say it like this, very frank. Do your stupid uh, tra- theological traditions prevent you from believing that? That Jesus has come to give you a life of abundance. I'm not talking about you being the next Elon Musk. I'm talking about you in your job, you're prospering because you you're, you do a good job and, and you have the favor of God in your life. In your relationships, you have the favor of God. You're not being cheated on because you've waited on the Holy Spirit to select the right one and your children are healthy. Your children are healthy and your marriage is prospering. Your ministry is pro- prospering. Everything you do prospers. Because it's the will of the Lord for weapons that are fashioned against you not to prosper, but for you to prosper in Christ. Amen. Believe it. Because what's the alternative? That God hasn't called you to that? So you want to live a life of shame. So Jesus really called us 
to live a life of shame, inability, reproach, with no glory on our lives? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God also empowers you. Empowers you. Do you want to be empowered to have a a life of glory? Do you want that life? That's the good news of the kingdom. That we would reign with Christ. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody. I know that. Amen. I know this might mess with your heads. Because you've been taught all your life that you have to say, woe is me and wallow in mud. If you want that gospel, go ahead. I don't want that gospel because it's not in the Bible. I don't know what I don't know what Bible you're reading. But it's not the Bible I read. Since I have given my life to Christ, I have, I, I have joy in full. Since I've given my life to Christ, guess what? I I prosper because I'm not that old, no good, deadbeat guy anymore. I walk with the favor of God in my life. Look at Daniel. Look at the favor on his life that surpassed that of those uh, astrologers and soothsayers and all these other people. He says, Nebuchadnezzar even recognized this guy, he's serving the real deal. He's serving the real God. But um, 